The same white supremacy, the black minority in each area being either enslaved or otherwise legally disabled. None of the most common reasons for civil strife were evident. No single or short explanation can capture all the facets of this complex and difficult conflict. But the causes of the Civil War can be simplified immensely by following the example of one eminent historian who asked two questions. First, why did the southern states want to secede from the Union? And second, why did the northern states refuse to let them go? Why did the southern states want to secede from the Union? Much of the answer revolves around what Southerners call their peculiar institution, black slavery. Slavery had not always divided the South from the North. Before the American Revolution, all British colonies in the New World legally sanctioned slavery. Nearly every colony counted enslaved blacks among its population, and most colonists accepted this as normal and inevitable. John Jay, who co-authored the Federalist Papers and who became the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, remembered the widespread acceptance of slavery. Prior to the Great Revolution, the great body of our people have been so long accustomed to the practice and convenience of having slaves that very few among them even doubted the propriety and rectitude of it. Some liberal and conscientious men had, indeed, by their conduct and writings, drawn the lawfulness of slavery into question, and they made converts to that opinion. But the number of those converts compared with the people at large was then very inconsiderable. The liberating spirit of the American Revolution, however, had caused many Americans to challenge slavery. Quakers organized the world's first anti-slavery society in Philadelphia in 1775. Soon similar organizations dotted the colonies. Many states offered freedom to blacks who enlisted in the military. Vermont was the first to abolish the peculiar institution in 1777. State after state followed with either outright abolition or gradual emancipation. In 1804, New Jersey became the last remaining state north of Maryland to eliminate slavery. Meanwhile, the Continental Congress had passed the Ordinance of 1787, prohibiting slavery in the western territories north of the Ohio River. Slavery was more economically entrenched in the southern colonies, but even there, the revolution's radical assault upon human bondage made significant inroads. Most of the southern states banned the importation of slaves. Southern societies encouraged masters to free their slaves, and several states relaxed the legal barriers to manumission, that is, voluntarily freeing a slave. Such enlightened southern statesmen as Thomas Jefferson condemned slavery and endorsed steps towards its ultimate extinction. But Jefferson, a slaveholder himself, expressed strong reservations about the two races coexisting after emancipation. Nothing is more certainly written in the Book of Fate than that these people are to be free. Nor is it less certain that the two races equally free cannot live in the same government. Nature, habit, opinion has drawn indelible lines of distinction between them. It is still in our power to direct the process of emancipation and deportation peaceably, and in such slow degree as that the evil will wear off insensibly 
and their place be filled up by white laborers. By the time the federal constitution was drafted in 1787, anti-slavery fervor had cooled. On one hand, the constitution gave a nod to anti-slavery convictions. It never used the term slavery, and it contained a clause permitting Congress to outlaw the Atlantic slave trade after 20 years. Article 1, Section 9. The migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit shall not be prohibited by the Congress prior to the year 1808, but a tax or duty may be imposed on such importations, not exceeding $10 for each person. On the other hand, the Constitution made two key concessions to slaveholders. First, a provision on fugitive slaves compelled the return of slaves, even if they escaped to states which had abolished the institution. Article 4, Section 2. No person held to service or labor in one state, under the laws thereof, escaping into another, shall, in consequence of any law or regulation therein, be discharged from such service or labor, but shall be delivered up on claim of the party to whom such service or labor may be due. The second concession allowed slave states to count three-fifths of their slaves toward representation in the House. Article 1, Section 2. Representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states which may be included within this union, according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years, and excluding Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all other persons. This provision was called the Federal Ratio, and it increased the political power of slaveholders in direct proportion to the number of slaves they owned. Congress abolished the slave trade in 1808 during Jefferson's presidency, but this was the last anti-slavery triumph for some time. Southerners now drew back from any commitment to the institution's eventual demise. Ironically, this Southern reversal owed much to the spread of the ideals of liberty and equality. These ideals had helped spark a slave revolt in the French West Indies, in which many whites had been slaughtered. By New Year's Day, 1804, the black revolutionaries had established the Republic of Haiti. Surviving whites fled to America. Their tales of revolt horrified Southerners. Even while the specter of slave revolts loomed, American slavery was enjoying an economic resurgence. During the Revolution, slavery had been viable only along the southern seaboard in the areas which grew tobacco and rice. But in 1793, Eli Whitney invented the cotton gin. A cotton boom spurred settlers into the rich lands of the Gulf and converted the southern frontier to plantation agriculture. In 1820, the United States slave population was three times that of before the Revolution. Thus, while slavery was disappearing throughout the rest of the world, it was expanding in the American South. As late as 1830, the American North still contained some 3,000 slaves, but these slaves would shortly join the 125,000 northern blacks who were free. Simultaneously, the population of the free states began to overwhelm that of the slave states. By 1819, the North could outvote the South in the House of Representatives 105 to 81. Only the Senate maintained a sectional balance, 11 free states to 11 slave states.
Then Missouri petitioned Congress for admission to the Union. Because one-sixth of its inhabitants were slaves, Representative James Talmadge, Jr. of New York proposed several conditions upon Missouri's statehood. Additional slaves would be prohibited from entering Missouri, and children of Missouri slaves would be freed at the age of 25. Talmadge's plan of gradual emancipation would have taken half a century to complete, yet it hopelessly deadlocked Congress for a year. The House, with its free state majority, approved Talmadge's amendment, but the Senate rejected it. The elderly Thomas Jefferson best expressed the dread that this deadlock engendered. This momentous question, like a fire bell in the night, awakened and filled me with terror. I considered it at once as the knell of the Union. I regret that I am now to die in the belief that the useless sacrifice of themselves by the generation of 1776 to acquire self-government and happiness to their country is to be thrown away by the unwise and unworthy passions of their sons. Eventually, in February 1820, Henry Clay, Speaker of the House, pushed through a compromise. Missouri was admitted as a slave state. Maine, which had been a district of Massachusetts, was admitted as a free state. This maintained the sectional balance. The remainder of the national government's Louisiana territory was divided along a line that ran parallel to Missouri's southern border. Territory south of that line was open to slavery. Territory north of the line, except for Missouri, was closed to slavery. Clay was hailed as the great pacificator. He had saved the Union. But the Missouri...